We are going to carry on our series that we've been doing. So if you're a visitor today, this might seem a little odd because you haven't had all the other bits and pieces that have been going along with it. But hopefully it makes enough sense that you can follow along. We have been talking now for five or six weeks and we're going to do many, many, many more. Um, In fact, I was planning our preaching rota for 2020 this week and so far I'm through to about October next year and we're still in the same series. So, yeah, there's one person excited about it. What we're looking at is this question. Really, it's brilliant on the back of baptism. It's this question of... Not how do we begin with Jesus, but how do we go on with Jesus? What does the Christian life look like in a way that's life-giving and fulfilling and hopeful? And not just in a way that is like, I'm a Christian now and that's fine and nothing changes. But actually the recognition that with Jesus everything has changed. And that there's a need for our lives to reflect something of that. And even in saying that, I can hear myself speaking in a way that could sound like, oh my word, that sounds like a heavy burden to carry. Like, I'm not sure I could be bothered following Jesus if it's like all this hard work and I've got to make sure to get all the bits right and there's all these rules that I have to follow. And we've been talking for these past number of weeks about this passage. This is the driving passage for us. It's from Matthew chapter 11 and it's uh, this is the version from the message which was written by a guy called Eugene Peterson and he says this. He says are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? We'll just pause there. We won't go any further. I know that describes many of us in this room. Tired, weary, maybe a bit burned out on religion. Jesus' answer Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Who would like a real rest? Anyone? A few of us, yeah. A real rest. Jesus says, walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace, right? Not a heavy burden, But an unforced rhythm of grace. Does that not sound life-giving? And I can breathe in that. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you, says Jesus. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. And we acknowledge the beauty of those words and the hope of those words. And really what we're trying to do now is say, well, how would we do those words, right? How do we live a life that is, has these unforced rhythms of grace? And we've looked at a few things so far. We've looked at silence and solitude, the importance of that, how our world even sees the significance of having a place of silence and a place of solitude where we can quiet ourselves. Mindfulness really is focused on that. But we wanted to go beyond just the idea of mindfulness and say that we want to be present with God, not just in here, but recognizing his role in our past and into our future. So we looked at silence and solitude. We spent two weeks looking at community. What does it mean for us to be a Christian community? Something that paints a picture of who Jesus is. Something that says to those outside our community, this is a place where you can belong, where you can find rest. A place that is free and light. Then last week we looked at prayer. And we recognized the significance and the centrality of prayer. We looked at the peculiarly named Lord's Prayer, which is really the Disciples' Prayer. 
And we looked at some ways in which that can be helpful for us in praying. And so today we come to another subject, to the subject of Sabbath. When I say Sabbath, what comes to mind? Saturday, okay. Sunday. What other things? Rest. A heavy metal group. Yes, you're my man there. That's what I like to do. Excellent. Anything else? Okay. That's good. Pharisees. Law. Yeah. Burden. Those are all good words. We could have lots of others. I think in Scotland, I think this is true. We instinctively have a negative reaction to the word Sabbath. It's not a word that invites us to something positive, but we, it's a, a negative thing. It feels like a, a thing that is legal and it means that we can't take a ferry to the islands at the weekend or you know, we can't get our bread or whatever. Now, that's obviously gone now, right? The, in our culture, Sabbath is not a thing. Even out in the Western Isles, there's almost no islands left that don't have a ferry crossing on a Sunday. But it became this thing that was burdensome and peculiar and actually one of those things, one of those last remnants of the church being at the center of culture and dictating to everybody else what we should do. And so Sabbath became this, has become in Scotland, I think, just a really negative word, something that people associate with laws and rules and things you must do and more particularly things you mustn't do. One of my favorite movies is uh, Chariots of Fire. Anyone else in that camp? There's a few of us, right? Awesome movie. It's been really lovely moving to Edinburgh and uh, seeing some of the places. And uh, A few years ago, Karen and I were in Paris and we saw the Scots Kirk where he preaches that message. Whether he did in real life or not, I don't know, but it was in the movie, so it must be true. Um, and then I, every time I walk up uh, Arthur's seat, I, I can see him standing there chatting with his sister and he says, but when I run, I feel the Lord's pleasure. And it's like, it's like oh, this is great. But there's a moment in that movie that drives me nuts. So he's coming out of church on a Sunday, because that's usually when people go to church. And they're all walking out, and there's two boys come across with a football that's bounced down. And, you know, he's a famous athlete at that point. He was a rugby player. And they say, well, Mr. Little, will you come and play with us? And he said, boys, it's the Sabbath. There will be no playing games on the Sabbath. I'll play with you tomorrow. And I'm like, no. No, he's missed the point. And I'll hopefully show you why he's missed the point as we go on. Because Sabbath is not about the avoidance of everything. But it is. And if you hear nothing else today, Sabbath is about the enjoyment of the goodness of God's creation with God. Okay? The enjoyment of God's good creation with God. I, I have never before prepared a sermon that has been so provoking to me. Over the last two weeks in reading this and reading stuff and listening to stuff and all the research that I've done around this, I have been particularly provoked. So I want to say to you, I preach today not as an expert, not that I ever really do that, um, but as a fellow learner. This is an area I really struggle in. 
our culture, I think, makes it very difficult for us in this way. But I, I, So please don't hear me standing up here today sounding like I've got it all sorted with Sabbath. I don't. Not even at all. And at the end, I'm going to share with you some of the conclusions I've come to uh, as a result of my reading and thinking over the last couple of weeks. So I have four things I want us to talk about today. We're going to talk about Sabbath as rhythm, Sabbath and humanity, Sabbath as law, and Sabbath as gift, okay? So we'll get through that. It'll be fine. Rhythm. That was uh, Willie in his younger years. (laughs) Uh, Sabbath is a rhythm it's not intended to be a thing that we switch on and off but a thing that is constant and ongoing and forms part of our normal regular patterns of life that is what Sabbath's meant to be how do I know that because in Genesis chapter 2 right at the beginning of the Bible Well, not right at the beginning, because that would be chapter 1, right? But nearly the beginning, chapter 2. Thus, the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. God has made everything. And by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. We've had six days through the first chapter of Genesis with God saying, I'm making this, I'm making that, whether it's the lights or the stars, whether it's the animals, whether it's the plants, whether it's separating the sea and the land. Ultimately, in day six, halfway through day six, we discover he made humanity. And then what happens? It's not the end of the story when he makes humanity. The rhythm continues. There's a new day, and in that day, he rested. And in that day of rest, God began to create a rhythm for all of creation. Not just for humanity, but for all of creation. We're going to return to Genesis 2 uh, later. But this idea of rhythm, it sets out the fact that the climax of creation is not humanity, as we have so arrogantly sometimes assumed, that the very pinnacle of all that God made is us as humans. But actually, the pinnacle and the climax of creation is the day of rest. When creation all comes together and lives at peace and harmony with one another... Sabbath becomes the culminating roof of the entire house. And it sets for us a rhythm. Sabbath is baked into the very essence of creation. It's the way we were wired to work. It's not just a good idea. It's not just a law. It's not anything else. It's the way we were wired to work. And actually, it's not just us as humans wired to work that way, but actually all of creation. And so it turns out, if, we, if you were to turn in your Bible to Leviticus chapter 25, uh, which is near the front of your Bible, um, 
God has given all these laws. I'm just going to read a few verses for us this. The Lord said to Moses at Mount Sinai, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, When you enter the land I am going to give you, the land itself must observe a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years sow your fields, and for six years prune your vineyards and gather their crops. But in the seventh year, the land is to have a year of Sabbath rest, a Sabbath to the Lord. Do not sow your fields or prune your vineyards. Do not reap what grows of itself or harvest the grapes of your unintended vines. The land is to have a year of rest. See, God baked into creation, all of creation, the idea of rest. And let me tell you something. If you speak to an agriculturalist, if that's even a word, somebody who's involved in agriculture, you'll, they'll tell you about a thing that's a big deal in agriculture, and it's the idea of the fallow year. And what that means is that every certain number of years, let's pick a number, say, oh, I don't know, seven, And it's good for the land. Good for the land to have a year where nothing has grown on it. Science tells us that. But actually what we discover is that God told us that way before science did. Because it's baked into the very elements of creation. That rest is an important part of what we do. So first of all, we have rhythm. Then we have our humanity. Humanity and Sabbath are intricately linked together. To be human is to rest. To be human is to rest. How do I know that? Let me give you two examples. One is Jesus. Jesus was fully God and fully human. He didn't just walk about working 24-7 all the time, never resting. In fact, some of my favorite stories in the Bible are of Jesus having a rest. He's been busy at work, preaching. Letting people know what's going on with the announcement of the kingdom of God. He's been feeding the 5,000 and he says to his disciples, come, let's get away from here. Let's have a rest and they all get on the boat. We'll go over to the other side. And so Jesus gets on the boat and jumps in the back and shuts his eyes and out he goes, out like a light. Boom. These skilled fishermen that are running the boat get a bit freaked out because there's a big wind comes and it all blown about. And they have to go and wake Jesus up. He's in such a deep rest that even this massive storm that has these skilled fishermen frightened isn't enough to have him wake up. So they go and they wake him up. They give him a shake. And he stands up and he says, literally, he says, shut up to the sea. It's quite a crude word that he uses there. It's like blunt. Sea goes calm. The story finishes with being told that the disciples were now more afraid of Jesus than they were of the storm, which is a whole other sermon about the fact they now recognize he's God because only God can tell the water what to do. And unfortunately it ends there because in my head the story doesn't end there because in my head Jesus says, shut up! And then he, he goes back to the back of the boat and curls up and sleeps again, right? Because rest was important. Um, One of the great prophets in the Old Testament, Elijah, he goes up on uh, the mountain and he does battle with the prophets of Baal and he calls down fire from heaven and they toast up this big barbecue and he makes fun of their, uh, their prophets not being able to do anything that their God is silent and far off and so he legs it. From there, having defeated the prophets of Baal. And then what happens is that the king and his queen are are mad with him. And so they decide they're going to slaughter him. And so he runs away from them. And then he finds a broom bush. 
And he sits down and he completely down and he says to God, God, I wish I could just die. And so he falls asleep. And he falls asleep and an angel comes and wakes him up. And the angel says, here, have a drink and something to eat. And so he has something to drink and eat. And then he goes back to sleep. And then sometime later it says, the angel of the Lord came back, which is a slightly different language than it used the first time. That's the language that the Old Testament uses when it wants to describe uh, Jesus before he was born. This is the pre-incarnate Jesus. It's called a theophany, if you're interested in the boring word. Um, Comes, and he wakes him up, and he says, here, take this bread and this water, eat. This great, powerful man of God doing great, incredible things for God, needed to rest. And God came at his lowest point. And what did he allow him to do? Eat, sleep, and rest. As our humanity is expressed in resting as much as it is in doing. One person I was reading this week said this, Sabbath is a scheduled weekly reminder That we are not what we do. Rather, we are who we are loved by. Sabbath and the gospel scream the same thing. We do not work to get a place where we finally get to breathe and rest. That's slavery. Rather, we rest and breathe and enjoy God that we might enter into rest. See, Sabbath keeps us in our place. It reminds us of who we are and our place in the world. Like this image. I I, I can't imagine what was going through the guy's head who's looking at that sky there. But I'm pretty sure he didn't think he was God. I'm pretty sure he realized that he was just a small part in a very big universe. And Sabbath does the same thing for us. Because it makes us stop. And not work. And trust that things will be okay anyway. That if we don't work, the world won't come to an end. That we are not that important. And yet conversely, it says we are so profoundly important. So profoundly important. That God has set aside time for us to rest. That we may enjoy his good pleasure. The biblical story tells us to rest one day a week. But that's what it is to be truly human. And to not rest, and if we had time I could show you where all this comes from, but if, to not rest is inhuman, it's slavery. And humans, therefore, were made to rest. Right. Now, not many of us will think of ourselves as slaves, okay? Is there anyone in here who thinks of yourself as a slave? No. We're not, we're not slaves, Really? Who has one of these? See your hands? Come on, come on. Okay, so most of us have one of these. If you have one like this, it even has a little apple on it with a bite out of it. Now, if you want to think about the Genesis story, you can decide where that wants to go. But anyway, we don't think of ourselves to be slaves, but let me ask you something. What if I challenged you to have 24 hours where you turn that off, put it in a drawer, and touch it? Could you do that? Would that be something that right now raises your anxiety levels? Or does it actually feel like, yeah, I could do that this afternoon. That'd be fine. 
then we might have a really holy bunch in here who go, yeah, I could do that, no bother. My suspicion is for most of us, and I know for me, I, I could feel my anxiety levels creeping up just at the thought of it. Oh, but wait a minute, what if so-and-so needed to get in touch with me? Or, or what about? Or, or, oh, my kids, or my work. See, this is a real issue for us. In France, last year, they made it illegal in a large company, a company over the size of 50 employees, to send emails outside of work hours. Because people are tied to this. The, one of the legislators that put it through, he said this. He said, people may leave the office, but they do not leave their work. They remain attached by a kind of electronic leash like a dog. That's not human. That is not human. Now, I sound like a Luddite, like I don't want one of these. I love this thing. Right? It takes great photos. It gives me access to all the information the world has ever had, and I can carry it around in my pocket. Awesome. But it is an electronic leash, and it definitely pulls us away from the notion of Sabbath and rest. And we are made for that. It is what our humanity is. How do I know that? It's always good to quote Jesus when you're trying to make a point, right? The Gospel of Mark, right near the beginning, chapter 2. Jesus has been annoying the Pharisees already, like the, the leaders of the, the Jewish household, the, the Jewish uh, community. And he's been annoying them already, and they keep going on at them. And Jesus says this. Or he tells this story. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the cornfields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some ears of corn. Okay, so they're out for a nice Sabbath walk. Saturday, interestingly, not a Sunday, but we'll come to that in a moment. And one of the disciples reaches out and just takes a little bit of corn off the stalk and has a wee nibble. The Pharisees said to him, Look, look what they're doing. It's unlawful on the Sabbath. And Jesus answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for the priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, or humans, not just for us blokes, but for humans, not, not humans for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is not some outside thing that is enforced upon us. It is for the flourishing of humanity. That is what this rhythm is for. Not to make you feel guilty. Not to make you think, oh no, I have to put my phone away because Glenn said it's a bad thing. Actually, it's to be life-giving for us. Third point, law. Let's be honest, the Sabbath is law. God took a people out of slavery in Israel, in Israel, in Egypt, sorry. 
he carried them up out of there. They wandered in the desert for 40 years. But in the midst of that time, he gave them a law to live by. The reason he gave them the law is that they were to be a light unto all the other nations of the world. To live in a way that would attract people to God. And so God says, here's the ways I want you to live. And so we, see, we find this in Deuteronomy chapter 5. Or we find part of it in Deuteronomy chapter 5. This is what's known as the Ten Commandments. Now, there's loads more laws than this. There are thousands and thousands of them all to do with all sorts of different things some of which are relevant today and some of which are not this is the famous one the ten commandments okay I I was almost going to challenge us to see if we could name all ten commandments we're not going to read the whole ten commandments I decided that was unfair on you all so we're not going to do that but this is this is what it says it says I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt so God is establishing who he is what he has done for them that he has brought them out of the land of slavery and he says you shall have no other gods before me you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth below beneath or in the waters below in other words you will worship only me says God you shall not bow down to them or worship them for I the Lord your God am a jealous God punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me we're going to skip over that but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments God is good and loving and kind you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name that's what we often refer to as blasphemy Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. And they go on. We know the others. Adultery, murder, stealing. Here's the thing. I'm a minister. Great joy in my life to be a pastor. Nine out of ten of those laws, if I break them, you'll fire me. If I have an affair, you'll fire me. If I start worshipping other gods, you'll fire me. If I bring a big idol in here next Sunday, a big picture, golden version of Glenn. (laughs) Unfortunately, we'll look a little too much like Buddha for my liking, but um, we're working on that. If I do that, I get fired. If I murder someone, I hope you'd fire me. Okay? If I stand here and blaspheme, you'll fire me. Any chance you fire me for not taking a Sabbath? You wouldn't. You wouldn't. You might give me a pay rise because you'll see me working hard. Right? That's the way it works. It's upsides down and backward. It was so important to God to name for his to name that his people would follow this rhythm because it would say to the world outside, this is the kind of God we have. We rest with him. We enjoy him. We experience his goodness and the goodness of creation. It was so important that alongside not killing people, God said, keep the Sabbath. Please don't fire me if I don't keep the Sabbath. I already confessed I find this difficult. We're working on it. It's law. We know it's law and it feels heavy. But I want to finish with this one. It's a gift. It's a gift. I'd like to go back to Genesis chapter 1 again. We read from 
uh, Genesis chapter 2 earlier, that God had set aside that day to rest. But if we were to read in Genesis chapter 1, from the beginning of day 6, which is when humans are created, it says this, it says, And God said, Let the land produce the living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and its wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. In other words, all the the animals are are coming uh, to be. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image. So he's already created all the animals, right? Okay, so I'm guessing that's a good morning's work. That reasonable shout, God taking the time to make all of that. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living thing. God saw all that he had made, and it was exceedingly good. Like a Mr. Kipling cake. Exceedingly good. Not just good, all the other days are good. Day six is exceedingly good. Why am I telling you this in relation to being gift? Halfway through day six, Adam and Eve are created. come to be in the garden. They go to sleep. It was evening. It was morning. They wake up day seven. Let's get at it. What are we going to do? God says, rest. Rest. It's a gift. The first thing that the newly created humans have is rest. Rest. A gift. Nothing to be earned, nothing to be done, just the opportunity to enjoy God and his exceedingly good creation. It's the same invitation to us. We make the mistake, I think, of thinking that Sabbath is the last day of the week. And so we work all week and collapse into the weekend. Does anyone recognize that idea? Sunday, it's like, let's drag myself along to church because I know I should. But I'm just wrecked. And if I can just get some rest, I can maybe do next week. Sabbath's meant to be the first day of the week. Meant to be a place of rest that we then go energized into the week. A place of rest that helps us understand our place in the world. All the things we've been talking about, about humanity. The fact that God marked it out as a day that we would then be a witness to the rest of the world. Well, I now go into the world for the rest of the week thinking I am a witness to the rest of the world. That's how I want to live. It's a gift to us to begin in that space, not to end up in that space in a big heap in the corner trying barely to get enough rest that we've got something for next week. It's the same invitation to us. Sabbath comes then not primarily as law or heavy burden, but as gift. So, how do we live that out, right? Because I don't know about you, but that's quite inspiring. And I had probably another four sermons that I could have preached on this topic. I have 
oodles and oodles of stuff um, that I'd love to bore you with. I came across one book that I would thoroughly recommend to you. Uh, it will be on the sheets that will be out next week with all the Sabbath information on them, but it's by a guy called A.J. Sabotka, uh, and no, I can't spell that for you right now, uh, and he's written a book called Sabbath as Resistance, which is I think a really, really helpful book uh, as we think about how we go about this. So if you want to read some more, it's really good. But the question of how do we do, what would it look like in the West, in Portobello, to embrace some sense of Sabbath rhythm? Not in a world, not in a part of the world where everything shuts down. You go to Israel, everything shuts down on a Saturday. Nobody works, apart from the Arabs, because they have a different Sabbath rhythm. If you're there, it's quite easy to do. If you're here, it takes a lot of work. Sabbath won't happen by accident, right? You're not going to accidentally find yourself, oh, that was a lovely Sabbath I just had by accident. You've got to plan for it and prepare for it. So this guy, A.J. Sabotka, tells the story of how he does it. And I have to use his story because at the moment I don't have a rhythm of exactly how I do it. But I've been very challenged by it, and I'm going to share with you later what the conversation we've started as a family about this. So, AJ is a pastor, and so he goes home on a Friday from work uh, about tea time, and he goes home, and his wife has lit two candles. Uh, This is a Jewish rhythm that he's stolen. He said, it's very helpful, so I'm going to do it. And he's trying to actually embody something. So they light these candles as a symbol of God's presence with them, but also of marking this moment as this time has started. This is the time that we have. So they then sit down, they have dinner together. But before they have dinner together, something very important happens. Him and his wife take their phones out of the pocket and they switch them off and they put them away. And for 24 hours, his phone's off. I'm going to do that. So from now on, if you want me between a Friday night at about 6 o'clock and a Saturday night at 6 o'clock, you can't phone me. Okay? Because... I need a Sabbath. So I'm going to do that. I'm freaking out about doing that. So please pray for me. But I'm going to do that. Um, So they turn their phones off. Then they sing a song. I'm not going to ever sing a song. Not my kind of thing. But they sing a little song, the Shabbat Shalom song that they, again, stole from a Jewish tradition. But the idea is, I'm wishing you a very good Sabbath. And so they do that to one another as a family. He does it because his six-year-old boy loves to do it. And he tells a funny story about how his six-year-old boy just starts saying Shabbat Shalom to everything, to the cat, to to the pile of dirty laundry in the corner and all sorts of stuff. So it's quite entertaining. The point is, it's a family moment. And they have a dinner. Uh, they eat together. And then I was quite struck by this. They go to bed. Early. Because here's the thing. If you want a day of rest, staying up until 2 a.m. watching Netflix, <laughs> probably in the end isn't going to be that restful. It might be fun. And you might have bashed through the latest series of whatever you're watching. But it's probably not restful. So go to bed early. Now, I hate that. I'm such a night owl. So I'm just being honest with you here. Is that okay? I don't like going to bed early. So, yeah. And without wishing to be crude, in the Jewish tradition, the, the, 
the, the, the rabbis would send people home to their, their families and they would encourage their spouses to enjoy spousal relations, let's call it that. Because they're recognizing that there's a real humanity to the goodness of God's good gifts. Okay? And so I, it's just, I remember the first time I ever read that, I had to go and check it somewhere else. I was like, is that right? But it is. And the reason is because they're deeply committed to the idea that God has given us good things. And Sabbath's not about ignoring them or pretending they don't exist, but about enjoying all the goodness of God's creation. And that was just a very practical one that they used to encourage. And so, in the morning, the man gets up first in their house. I like nights, not mornings, so this might be a challenge too. And the first thing he did is he would go and get the kids up. And he gets his son up, and A.J. Sabotka does it, that him and his son go and they make pancakes and they cook bacon and they um, cover it in maple syrup. Loads and loads of maple syrup. And his son is allowed as much maple syrup as he wants on his pancakes on Sabbath day. So I imagine that's a lot of maple syrup. And the reason they do that is the Jewish tradition for this was that when the, the father got up, he gave every child a spoonful of honey in the morning for breakfast. And the reason was so that the kids would never forget the sweetness of God's rest. I love how embodied that is. How practical. Like if you give a kid a big spoonful of honey or an endless amount of maple syrup, they are not going to complain about Sabbath. They're going to be longing for it every week. Is this the day I get my sweet stuff? Because that's what kids are. And so there's this beautiful sense of actually remembering the sweetness of what God has done. So they do that. Then they go out for a walk as a family. And then they come back and their boy loves movies. So they put a movie on. He gets to watch a movie and dad has a nap on the couch. And then they play games, and then they have dinner, and then they extinguish a candle, put their phones back on, and go back to regular life. And he's honest enough to say that, you know what, sometimes the wheels fall off. You know, things happen. Somebody dies, there's a, you know, a family emergency, there's, things happen, and it interrupts them. He's like, but it's different to have your Sabbath rhythm being the thing that's interrupted than trying to have your Sabbath rhythm be the thing that interrupts your normal life. And I think that's profoundly important. That if we're just hoping occasionally we might manage a a Sabbath, it's unlikely to happen. If we manage to have that as a regular rhythm and it gets upset sometimes, well, that's okay. Because we're under grace, not law. And we see it as a gift. It's for humanity, not to serve the Sabbath, but for Sabbath to serve humanity. So coming back to normal life, how am I going to do this? Well, I, the problem is I'm part of a family. I don't get to choose this. So I'm going to try Fridays through to Saturdays. No phone. I'm going to try and make sure that we're eating dinner together and doing one thing as a family. Right? That doesn't sound like a massive stretch, but I tell you, it feels like it right now. To embrace Sabbath in a way that becomes an unforced rhythm of grace. Something that's helpful and this is the key thing, and I want to, I'm going to finish with this. Why are we doing all this? Is it just so I can be a better person, a little less tired, fighting against the kind of ever busyness of the world? No. I want to remind you that all of this is because we want to be with Jesus. None of this is so that we get to be better people. 
but we want to be with Jesus because that's the beginning and the end of discipleship. If we want to be people who follow hard after Jesus, it's going to be because we are with him. And so this is a rhythm that's been given to us that we might be with him. Can I pray for us all? Jesus, we long to be with you, to enjoy your presence, to enjoy the good things that you have created, to rest in the beauty of your creation, in the joy of your creation, in the fun that we can have with friends and relatives, in the ability to sleep and be restored. Lord, we long to be people who are recognized as followers of you, who live with you, who dwell with you, and point people to the hope that is in Jesus Christ. Help us, each individually, Lord, to figure out what it would look like to embrace a Sabbath rhythm in our own context, with our own set of circumstances. Help us to worship you, to honour you, and to recognise that yours is all the glory in everything we do. In Jesus' name. Amen.